And on the way in, it blew one of the tanks off the front. A shell came in and blew one of the tanks off the front. And the, the ramp fell down, so we all ran off the ramp. But we were in water over our heads, you know. But I floated around long enough to get into shore. Ray Wagner never really had occasion to talk much about where he served and what he saw in World War II. In fact, he never told his parents anything. They never knew that their son witnessed the horrors of D-Day at Omaha Beach, that he nearly drowned when his landing craft sunk, that when he finally made it to shore, a piece of shrapnel tore off his kneecap, that his field artillery unit would be in continuous combat till war's end, and that he would see firsthand the Nazi atrocities at the Dachau concentration camp. Ray Wagner is now 97, a Purple Heart veteran and Bronze Star recipient, with an energy level that would be the envy of those decades younger. He opened up about his wartime experience only a couple years ago on the 75th anniversary of the D-Day invasion. And now, he shares his remarkable story with us. driving a truck, you're working, and Pearl Harbor gets bombed. Tell me what the, what the situation was then. Did you know then that you were going to be called to serve? I was working in a shipyard down in Seneca, Illinois, making LSTs. I could have got a deferment down there. They offered me a deferment because working on the ships down there. And uh, I didn't want to take it because I come up here on weekends and all my friends were gone. They're all in service. So I thought I'm going to go anyway. So at the time, I come back on weekends. And this weekend I come back, I happened to notice there was a, a, a letter here. I had to come and report. So I got drafted. Mm-hmm. And that was, that was I got drafted out of the shipyard, yeah. So that's in 1943 when you were drafted? Yeah, yeah. Then you go off to basic? Well, we had uh, 13 weeks of basic, and they shipped us to Fort Meade, Maryland. And I was there two days, and they put us on a boat and took us over to Scotland. That was the Queen Elizabeth, right? Yeah. Converted uh, into a troop ship. And did you know then that you would be party to D-Day? No, no. I had no idea. When did you find that out? Well, basically, we knew we were training for it, but we didn't know when we were going to go there. So when the, the night before, we were we were taken out to the boats and put on the boats, and then canceled out for the day. We stayed on the boat overnight. Okay. And then the next day, we left for DD. All right. And so these boats that you're on are ducks. They're amphibious. No, them were LSTs. Oh, these were LSTs. Uh, All right. LSTs. When do you? When do you convert to the ducks? When do you get on board those? Well, we use ducks in training all the time. When we got on, the, uh, when we um, went to get on the LST, we were on ducks then. We rode in the ducks and the LST. All right. When you, and this is June 6, 1944, yeah. you're getting ready to hit, and you're hitting Omaha Beach. Yeah. All right. And you're in the ducks then. Mm-hmm. How far offshore when the ducks are put in the water? Uh, Oh, gee, I, I think it was about three miles. All right, so you're out quite a ways. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. And you described to me that the ducks were really overloaded. Definitely so, definitely so. With how many men? I would say 
they had at least 14 men on there, 14 men. All right, and a lot of equipment. They had, they had the 105 howitzer on there, and they had all kinds of ammunition on there. Which Us. weighs weighs a lot. Yeah, oh, Jesus. We were probably four inches off of the water. That's all. And did you know you were, and you were having significant waves then too, yeah, weren't you? Yeah, yeah. So it's washing over the sure, side. That's what happened. Uh, the waves sunk us because the pumps couldn't keep up. What, what are you? What are you all up. thinking when the water's washing over the side? Yeah. You're getting ready to invade, and you don't know what's going to hold when you get near don't the shore. <laughs> so how many ducks, and how many of them actually sank? Six of them. They all sank. Wow. They all sank. None of them got to shore. When your duck went down, what did you do? I floated around out there for a while and had a life preserver on. <clears throat> and uh, I seen a switchboard floating by, so I grabbed hold of that. And I hang, hung on that. And uh, then I seen a tire come floating up. It must have come off of one of the ducks or one of the guns or something. And that was floating, so I grabbed hold of that. And that's when I seen the lieutenant. He was struggling, and he didn't know what to do. And I grabbed hold of him and pulled him over to the tire, and we both hung on the tire. We were in there for about 45 minutes in the water. You're floating in the water for 45 yeah, minutes? at least, yeah. Are you close enough to shore that you're also taking fire at that point? Or the oh, journey? yeah, yeah, yeah. We weren't. I didn't, I didn't get no fire because it was hitting, hitting all the boats and everything. Right, right, right. But <clears throat> on you, the way in, we got it. Did you? Were you thinking at that moment? I have the good fortune of having a switchboard float by, and also yeah. a tire, which keeps you afloat. Because some of your mates went down, didn't they? Oh, most of them. Most of them did. Yeah, most was, of them did. And there was really nothing because they had the backpacks on, and they had the rifles and everything else, and, and they the, just went down. Yeah. And, they, and the weight just takes them under. So you and the lieutenant are able to get to this barge. Well, we got uh, the, I don't know, it wasn't a Coast Guard, it was a, a LCVP picked us up. That was a Navy, a Navy, they were these, just like a Higgins boat. Okay. With the ramp in front and everything, and it held about, uh, oh, probably 75 men and a, and a gun. And it had a tank on there, it had two tanks on there. All right. And, and they picked us, well, that was going in. But the guy that picked us up was just a, a, a small, like a rowboat with a motor on. And some, he was a, a sailor that was picking up people out of the water. That's that what was, he was doing. That was his responsibility. And he spotted us and yeah. he picked us up, yeah. All right, so then do you get hit again and thrown into the water? A shell? Going in, going in, yeah. When you're going in, a shell but we hits. had to go in. We had to go in to the boat. No, they took us back on the boat. You know, it has a ramp down. Yes. We had to go in there and in, into the boat. And because of our clothes now, they're all wet, they gave us all Navy clothes, and we put Navy clothes on. And then they took us and put us back in a rhino barge. On a rhino, what they call a rhino, it's a big barge with two outboard motors on the back. And they had a, two tanks on there and uh, about, 100 and, about 100 men, I think it was, and a lot of odds and ends, too. It was a big barge. And on the way in, it blew one of the tanks off the front. A shell came in and blew one of the tanks off the front, and the, the ramp fell down, so we all ran off the ramp. 
But we were in water over our heads, you know, but I floated around long enough to get into shore. All right, before you get to shore, you're scrambling for your life, right? You're, you're trying to stay alive and get, get your head above water all the way yeah, in. Yeah. Are you thinking that this invasion is just not going to work because you've got... I didn't think about the invasion. All I thought about was get out of the water. <laughs> I guess that makes yeah. sense. <laughs> so when you do get out of the water and you get on the beach... Yeah, we ran up on the beach. You, you don't have any rifle or anything. We didn't have you? anything. We didn't have anything. So just just the run... Navy clothes on. What? What were you supposed to do? Well, we were supposed to get up on, on shore because everybody else, the, not everybody, but all the D-Day kids, pe- people were up on shore and they were running back and forth and uh, getting killed and, and the lieutenants were hollering. Everything was a mess. Nobody knew where to go. And our leaders from the unit that I was in, we couldn't even find them. We didn't know where they were. So there's another lieutenant up there on the shore, and he's hollering, come on, come on, you got to pick up a rifle or something. Come on, come on to us. So that's what we done. And I picked up a machine gun, and my buddy, he, I, I met my buddy on shore. He was on shore already. I don't know how the hell he got there before I did, but he was on shore. And he says, I, I got a gun, too. I got a rifle. And he says, come on, we'll follow the lieutenant. So we followed him, and that's when I got hit. Describe what's going on around you when you grab the machine gun and you're running. With all the time, in. yeah. They were firing all the time, yeah. So there, this is just nonstop, heavy. Right. They were knocking fire. the boats out. The boats were on fire. They were sinking. Uh, all the little boats were running around, and the machine guns were coming down, hitting all them. Yeah. Did you have any idea of what this would be like when you got into it? No, never, never really dreamt what it would be like. All we knew is we got to get to shore. Then we got to shore, and this lieutenant says, pick up anything you can and come on with me. So I picked up the machine gun, and his buddy picked up that rifle, and he took us over. I don't even know what company he was with or anything. And he, he told us to sit down and wait with these other guys, and we're all going to go from shore. We're going to go up on land, but that never happened. <laughs> all right, so then you get hit. There's a shell that lands near you. <coughs> yeah. What happened? Tell me what that was like. Well, it took my knee off, took my cap on my knee off, from what I understand. And uh, a paramedic come past in the morning and looked at it, and he bandaged it all up and everything, and they picked me up and took me to, took me over to a boat and put, put me on a small boat and took, pardon me, took me back to England. All right, when this is going on, when the paramedic is tending to mm-hmm. you, where are you? Are you still in the line of fire, or do they get you? Oh, yeah. You? No, we're on the beach. We're on the beach yet. And you're seeing men dying oh, around Oh, Jesus. <laughs> it's just unbelievable. Do you still have a, a vivid picture of that in your mind? I have more of a vivid picture of the bodies floating in the water. Or the head's off, or the arm's gone, or missing part of them, you know. <clears throat> there was no no way of you burying them or anything then. There, you know, everybody was still trying to keep alive. Before I ask you about going to England and, and recovering from your wounds, did you have you, over the years, had... Well, you've had PS, PTSD, but, but have you had pictures in your mind that have really 
concerned you and made life difficult because you got those recollections? No, not really, but I did think about it all the time. In fact, today I still, when I got home, if I heard a plane over, I, I cringed because they used to bomb us in the foxholes over there. That's after you came back? Yeah, and you yeah, when, went, I, when they sent me back in. Again. All right. So you're off to off to England, and you're going to heal your to the hospital. heal your knee wounds. Yeah. How long were you in the hospital? Jeez, uh, I I got it wrote down. I think it was about about three weeks, something like that, three or four weeks, something like that. So did you think that you're going to be sent back into combat? Did you know that? No, I never thought of it. No, no. What I did you think? What did you think was going to happen to you? Well, I thought they were going to patch me up, and I'd probably stay over in England for a while and do do what we had to do over there. So what were the orders given to Ray Wagner? There was no orders, just that I was told I'm going back to my outfit, that's all. And that was the 111th Artillery yeah. Battalion? Yeah. 111th Field Artillery, yeah. And did, how'd you get back with them? Well, that, that was another story. <laughs> when I got back over there, uh, they dropped us off. Dropped us off in France, right off the coast of France someplace. And I was with a bunch of guys. A bunch of guys got dropped off because they sent us all back. And uh, it was it was oh, probably a week or two before I met up with the outfit again. Right, so you got back yeah, with them? They were, they, were, they were just over there now. All right. You know, because they had been on the beach all the time, too. Did you have, uh, did you recognize men who were in that unit? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I got right in with the outfit again, and then we went from there. We went all the way through France and Germany, Belgium. And you had, on the way, you had additional firefights that you were yeah, in. Yeah, all the time. We, we, would, we would go <coughs> probably 15 miles, put up the guns and everything, and started and start blowing up everything. And that was every 30 miles, all the way through. And you could almost depend on that every day that you were going to yeah, have. Yeah, oh, yeah. That was the job we had. Did you get any sleep? Did you get any meals? <coughs> I think one time we had a hot meal. I think one time they set up a kitchen, and they brought the stuff forward to us. But that was that was the only time. We always eaten K rations and stuff like that. Yeah. So the weather begins to turn, and it gets pretty cold. And we're talking now about Battle of the Bulge. No, I was all well, wait. I was all the way all the way up in Germany by then. I was up in Aachen, Germany, and that's when they transferred me from the outfit I was on 111 to the 283rd. When they transferred me, the 283rd was a, what they call a bastard battalion. It wasn't attached to nobody, but they had orders from from higher up where to go. They put them wherever they wanted. He was a, an outfit that could move, you know. And it, what happened then was when I got with them uh, a couple of days later, we got orders to move and we start moving. Well, we went down along the Rhine all the way, went down to Battle of Bulge, got in there for about, I think we were in there for about two or three days, but we didn't get into the battle itself. We were on the, you know, we were, I would say we were on the line with them. What, what, what was the mission of, of the 283rd? The to fire these, these uh, 105s. At tanks or anything, at the infantry, tanks, and whatever. We were frontline troops. Uh, that's as big as they had, frontline troops. So you're working your way down the Rhine. And what kind of combat are you seeing? What kind of resistance from the Germans are you seeing? Well, we were moving all the time. We were moving all the time. The Germans were firing all the time. And the infantry was up above in front of us. 
and they were capturing guys and killing the guys, and then we'd get the leftovers that were hidden. You know, we'd pull up our, our 105s and park them, and then we'd go scout around the area and look around see what see what's left. Did you take any prisoners at any point in time? Only last, only when, uh, when uh, just about over, yeah. Did, did you get the sense that it was coming to an end, the war was winding down, that the German will had been dissipating? We never knew anything. They never told us anything. We didn't know from day to day where we were going. I didn't know my officers. The, the, the main officers that I had was the captain and lieutenants. Anything else that belonged to the unit, you never knew what they were, who they were. I didn't even know who the commander was, you know, of, of that particular unit, of that division. And you were not alone because a lot of men were confused. They didn't have any direction. They, they didn't know who confused. they were assigned Nobody to. Nobody told them anything. They were just told this is what we do. And you did it. Yeah. That was not. <laughs> As you work further south, and this is this is nineteen is this nineteen forty five now? Are you in the nineteen forty five? Yeah, forty five I was in Aachen, Germany, and that's when I transferred into the two hundred and thirty two. When you when you're moving south with that unit, who tells you to go into Munich, into Dachau? Two hundred and eighty third. When you arrived, did did you know where you were gonna find when you got to Dachau? Well, we didn't know what it was at first when we seen it. You know, we seen all the barricades and everything. But then when we got there, they had opened up the gates. I guess the paratroopers were there first. They opened up the gates, and it, these people just flooded out. And I'll tell you, one accident that I'll never forget was they come out, you know, and they're skinny. They got these old clothes on. I don't know whether you've seen them, if you ever went to uh, a museum and seen what they dressed like. And they're thin, there's nothing to them. And this one guy come out of there, and we were, we were parked there, and we're supposed to keep them in, see? And uh, he come out of there, and he looked around, and he went over, and he took a, took a look over there, and there's a German dead laying there. He took the uniform off him, put on a uniform, and one of our guys shot him. They didn't know he was a prisoner. He, he, had, he put enemy. on a German uniform. Was he, did he survive? No, he died. He shot him, killed him. <laughs> well, he was German. That's right. what they thought, you know. Right. He thought, they thought he was one of the Nazi guards there. All right, when you see this flood of humanity coming inside the pen, you've got to keep them in there. That's the order. Well, we only went in there once. I didn't go in there more than once. Well, what did you, what, what, what did you think? How did you process that? I didn't know what to think. I didn't know what to think. We just happened to look and see it, uh, see it all, and we seen all the bodies laying there. Went to the motor gas chamber, and they they wouldn't let us in there. They opened the doors, but then uh, they, you could look in there, but you couldn't go in. Did you know what it was? Oh yeah, yeah. We knew we knew everything that happened then. Right. You know. So when you're having discussions with your fellow GIs about this, what are you all saying to each other? Well. <laughs> I don't know. We didn't have time to say anything, to do anything. We were just there for two days, and then we left, you know. And, and hell, it was just, just a concentration camp as far as we were concerned, you know. And they were killing people and everything. We knew that because of what, what we'd seen. 
but there's nothing we could do about it. Right, but but before you arrived there, did you have did, did any of you have any knowledge of what you might see there? No, uh, no, but nobody really knew that at that point, right? I mean, the the grunts. We heard of concentration camp, but we didn't know what we'd see. No. Well, now that you've had many years to reflect on that. Oh yeah, yeah. Now you look back, and I went down to the uh, Jewish Museum down here, the Holocaust. Oh, Holocaust Museum. And that brought it all back too. You know, a lot of it. But we didn't stay there. We the other troops had to come in and clean up and take care of it and all that. You know, we didn't do that. Where did they send you after you were in Dachau? Well, then we went clear. We fought all our way through uh, through Belgium, through uh, Holland. All the way to Germany, to Aachen, Aachen. Aachen? Aachen, Germany, yeah. And that's mm -hmm. where it was, uh, that was Christmas, I think it was Christmas. Yeah, Christmas. At, at Aachen, Germany, we were in foxholes, waiting for the bombers to come over and drop bombs. We, were, <laughs> we weren't in any place and freezing our ass off. You had to go there every time you heard a plane come over. Or if you heard them shelling you, you know, the big shells coming over. If you heard them, it was all right. If you didn't hear them, that's, they were for the, you. The GIs were fighting the Germans at, 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 at Christmas time. They were so close, the frontline troops could actually hear the Germans Yeah, they were right next to the heads, hedgerows, right next. They were on one side of the hedgerows, we were on the other side. Could you hear them? Yeah. We didn't always get that close, but most of the time we were. But that must have yeah. been a very eerie feeling, wasn't it, to, well, to hear the enemy We didn't enemy know running? they were Germans to begin with. We heard them, and then, then after a while you start listening, and you know they're talking German. Right. That's, and they're right on the other side of the hedgerow. Yeah, but you couldn't see them. You couldn't see them. The hedgerows were so thick, you could, they, tanks couldn't get through. They finally, they finally, one guy, I guess designed something for the tanks that they could put on the front of the tanks and go through and clear some of the hedgerows out so they could get her through there. That's how bad it was. Do you ever remember, Ray, thinking to yourself, when is this going to end? Because you saw continuous combat for many, many weeks. I didn't think anything about that. I don't think most of the guys did. They just knew we had to do it. You know, we had to be there and we had to do what we were doing. And they never told us when we had to move. They never told us we got to move to this place, this where we're going. They never told us. They just tell the captain, the captain's in charge now of this unit, <coughs> of, of the four guns in this unit. And he's told, all right, you got three miles up the road parking and start firing from there. And that's what they, that's, that's how they operated. But he, the colonels told him what to do, and the lieutenant colonel told him what to do, and we never knew who well, the officers Nobody told were. you guys. <laughs> they no. just told you where to go. And, yeah. <laughs> and, but not what to expect. No. So all of this is, is like fresh we never every day. Knew, uh, the grunts, which was what I was, never knew where we were going or what we're doing. Never knew. So all we knew is, Get on, get your clothes, get ready, we're moving again. And it's been so often written that you didn't know where you were going, what you could expect, but you all That's fought right. with your gut. Yeah. You, you fought with your gut. Yeah. When, when did the end finally come, Ray? When did you realize that it was over? Oh, I was down in Alsace-Lorraine then. 
And that's way down on the bottom down there. We had traveled from up north and went through Dachau and the Battle of the Bulge and, and down through Germany. And we got down on the Rhine River down there. And then we left that and went into this small town down there. After we got in that town, we set up the guns and everything. We'd start firing again. And uh, then they told us, we got to pack up again. We got to leave. And we packed up, and they told us, somebody told us that they think the war might be over. In the meantime, we were still down there. They were still fighting, you know, still shooting a gun. And the lieutenant asked for volunteers to go over and see what's over on the other side, see who's over there, you know. We'll go, we'll go into their lines. So there was three, three of us and a lieutenant, and he, he led us over there, and we got over there, and uh, we got into their lines and everything, and we wound up stopping there and telling that we start talking to the Germans because now they heard something about the war being over. It wasn't over yet, but it, they heard something about it. And our lieutenant told them they got to cease firing. And they said, no, they're going to keep on firing because the war ain't over. So he told them that if they don't stop, we're going to blow them all up because we got re reinforcements weighing back of us. So with that, we turned around, and uh, by myself and him, we says, well, we got to talk to you now. We're going to have to take you as prisoners now as soon as the war is over because it wasn't over done yet. And uh, we finally had a call back to the back lines of ours and asked for reinforcements because there was only four of us up there, you know. And they brought reinforcements up, and we had captured over 100 and some odd prisoners. And then after we captured them and everything and took them down and turned them over to the, I don't know what they, what they call the people that we turned them over to, then we found out that the war was going to be over. Four of you? Yeah, four of you. Four of us, yeah, and there was there was uh, I guess over a hundred Germans there, yeah. <laughs> but see, they realized they must have realized that it was over. Or they, in fact, some of them were pretty pretty old. You know, they had used the last people they had. Right, they had and, young kids. And so they and did. They did give up. They had to man. give up. Yeah, because yeah. he threatened them and he told them right out, "We're going to blast the hell out of you if you don't." And he looked at us because there's only me and him standing there. The other two guys were on the side. <laughs> I he, thought, what the hell is he talking about? <laughs> he, he must have been pretty yeah, persuasive. He's got to be nuts. <laughs> but he was he was a cocky son of a gun. He didn't care. He yeah. told him right out, I want to see your commander right now. And the guy says, Well, he's way back. Go get him. <laughs> and he got him. <laughs> So that so, was the end of that. So what did, did Ray Wagner then have a sense of relief about this? Did you realize that maybe the end was finally coming and you didn't have to go and engage in combat in another day? Yeah, another... after we got the prisoners back in, and uh, two days later, it was over. You know, we found out that a lot of war was over a couple of days later. And then I start thinking, well, Jesus, what the hell? What's going on now? Where are we going now? You know? But they won't tell us. They wouldn't tell us any. So right away they start saying, "Well, you got to shape up. You got to get uh, get a shower and have something to eat. Get your uniforms back on because we want to have a big, you know, a big show of this." <clears throat> but I got out on points. I got out about three days later after all this. So you're able to come home. Yeah, I got out on points only because at the time. This is funny. 
Most people didn't know they were given points, but I got points for being in D-Day. I got points for being wounded. I get points for traveling with them all the time during the war. So I was one of the first group that got freed. They just turned me loose and let me go. The rest of the guys all had to stay there because that was a younger battalion, that 283rd. They were all younger guys. The wound that you had in your knee haunted you for a long time, didn't it? I mean, you, you had a lot of water that you had to drain off the knee. It's an injury that stayed with you for the rest of your life. When they, when they took the kneecap off was what they told me they were going to do. And I don't remember what they done because I was in the hospital. You know. I went all the way through Germany and uh, France and all that with my knee like that. Hardly uh, walking. Yeah. Could you with, walk at all? You? Yeah, I could struggle, you know. And then, of course, the guys would help me, you know, all the guys in the unit that I was in. And when we traveled, we traveled in the trucks. We didn't have to walk. So uh, it swelled up like that, and up until I left Aachen, Germany, it was still swelling up. And I went with the 283rd, and they told me, well, you have to go to the hospital. I said, I'm not going to the hospital. It's too late now. Okay, come on, you go with us then. <laughs> so know, that was keep, it. Keep fighting. <laughs> yeah. So when I come out, I find out they gave me the Purple Hearts and all. And I had to go into the... After I got out, I, I had to go to a doctor, I think every six months to check my leg out and see that it's still, otherwise they wouldn't give me a pension. Mm. But they finally gave me, gave me a $50, $50 a month pension. <laughs> Did you have any sense back then that you would live to be 97 years old? <laughs> I thought I would be dead at 21, the way I was living. Because I was out drinking, carousing, playing around with the women, doing everything. What would you make of your life after you came home from combat? When I come home, I figured I didn't want to get married. That's one thing I didn't want to do. And I didn't want to tie myself up. And I got a buddy of mine that I run around with, and we went out and bought a house trailer and put it up in Wisconsin. We went up there every weekend. Then I worked driving a, an oil truck for an outfit here in Chicago, and we would work all winter. Summertime, we, there was no work because we didn't need the oil truck. And we would go up there and play around up there all the time. But I was always out dancing or carousing or something. You know, I never never could lay down. Did you ever get married? Never got married. Never got married. Never wanted to. I had a gal here for 50 years. She lived with me. And I told her if she ever mentioned marriage, that would be the it. So one day she happened to say something about it, and I packed all her clothes and put them in the garage. Yeah, she come home that night from work, and where's my clothes? And I said, they're gone. <laughs> well, we made up after that. She stayed She stayed the 50 years. Okay. She just died three years ago. Oh, I'm sorry. But she was, she was a real compatible girl. I mean, she put up with all my bullshit and everything else, you know. <laughs> and uh, she, was, she was really good. Okay, let me, let me just bring you back for a minute okay. to the ducks. When you're going in, you're saying they're, they were really overloaded. They had way too much weight. They're only inches above the waterline, and they all sink. And right. such a waste. That was some bad planning then, wasn't it? Well, certainly on their part, it was they overloaded the boats. If they didn't overload them, we wouldn't have had that problem. Yeah, and men lost their lives because of that. Right, right. So somebody made a bad judgment along the way. 
But then your story about all the confusion and being away from your unit, not knowing who's giving directions, was not unique. A whole lot, many, many men had no idea where their units were. I know, I know that. Because we talked to them on the beach. You know, where, where are you going? Who, who, who's your boss? Who, who's, the, who's your lieutenant? Nobody knows. They're all running around. And the lieutenants, most of them lieutenants, because that's, they were the next in line after the, before the captains, you know. And they got all the bullshit. They're, they were the ones, you go first, you go. And they were running around just hollering at everybody, come on, follow me, follow me. And they were, they were brave son of a guns, you know. Isn't it amazing that given all the confusion that was going on yeah. and everybody's separated and you're getting hammered by the shore artillery, that you still succeeded? D-Day was a success. Well, it was a success because we overwhelmed them. That's the only reason. I mean, if we didn't overwhelm them with our, with our equipment, with men, we'd have lost everything. So it wasn't a case of... We didn't think we were going to lose. We didn't think we were going to win. We didn't think anything. You just did it. <clears throat> okay, a number of years ago, you went on Honor Flight. Honor Flight Chicago. I thought it was the greatest thing in the world. I will never know why these old bastards over here won't go on that. I taught, I had brochures I carried with me for a while. I got some in the car yet. Every time I go to a meeting or something, have you ever gone on the honor? No, why not? I don't want to go. I don't want to go. That's all. They don't give you a reason. They just don't want to. What do you say to them? Well, <laughs> I say they're stupid. They're nuts because it's free. It don't cost you anything. They're always afraid they got to pay, you know. And I says, it's free, and they, they take good care of you. And Jesus Christ, you get your dinner, you get your breakfast, you get the girls singing to you and all this. What the hell do you want? <laughs> <laughs> so It was the best thing what, they've ever done. When you, when you got to D.C. and you were with all your mates, all right, um, what did that day do for you? What did it do for me? Well, it made me feel good because it, I know somebody cared about it because we were there and it didn't cost anything to take the flight and they were all happy about it. And the biggest thing was when they come back home, when they got the, down, in the, down in the airport. That, when they, when they wrote to all your friends and everything like that, and they showed up there, that was amazing. It was just, just amazing. And I, to this day, I tell these guys, you're an asshole for not going, you know? <laughs> I really, really let them know. I still, I still jump on them now. There's guys from Korea now, and Vietnam. And Vietnam. They're sitting here not doing nothing. They're sitting in a bar someplace. I'm, why don't you sign up and go down there? I don't want to. You know, they no excuse. They just don't want to. Hey Ray, keep working on them. All right. Keep working I, I on keep, them. Yes, I do. I, I really do. Ray Wagner, it's been a pleasure talking to you. Thanks for your service. Thanks for the conversation. Thanks okay. for the history. I'm glad you made it home, Ray. Yeah, I am too. <laughs> <laughs>
And make sure you subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. The impact Honor Flight Chicago has on the lives of our veterans and their families is made possible by the generosity of our donors. To support our mission, to find our veteran application, to volunteer, or simply for more information, please visit us at honorflightchicago.org.